Hello again, everybody. Uh, this is uh, Jason Powers. So today I'm gonna look over a article. It's kind of brief about the the Ch Chinese versus U.S. banking assets. Assets. Uh, this is due to the the I guess you could say the a graph that I saw that's kind of interesting because eventually uh, their uh, their model's going to bust. Uh, just like ours is, but the 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 bigger question is which one's going to go bust first or quickest. And so, looking at this, uh, we'll talk about that. Um, again, there's uh, been a smash and grab uh, at a uh, Lamborghini or a Rolls Royce dealership in uh, Chicago's Gold Coast. Uh, this was uh, posted uh, actually at. Uh, Citizen uh, Free Press and also at Zero Hedge. So it's quite interesting how these people are uh, going around uh, smashing up things uh, and nobody's doing anything about it. Um, the mayors and the, the cops and the prosecutors, uh, they're all kind of just letting this go because, you know, reparations, we got to have that. That's very important. But uh, we'll discuss these things Um so, uh, again, I said that I was going to be doing a um, podcast on uh, Sunday, Monday, and I think that's probably the schedule I'm going to try to keep or try to hold myself to for the next, uh, at least the next few weeks. And uh, we'll go from there. So, hopefully everybody's enjoying their morning. We have, uh, we definitely are waiting in the, uh, anticipation to see what's going to happen next with all the things going on. Um, matter of fact, there's a, I'm gonna, we'll discuss it here. There's a, something just came out recently today about uh, Germany, of course, because Germany is what they are. Uh, they are key to Europe, and they certainly are key to the stupidity that goes on there. <laughs> uh, we'll start there, actually, because I just read it, and I think it's interesting... Uh, how they're uh, how they're uh, moving ahead with their uh, new world order uh, climate change and uh, ideas, which is always a, a always a, a trip. So, Disclose TV uh, talked about German power prices explode to over two hundred euros per megawatt hour, an unprecedented record price. Uh, the reason why, um, <laughs> well, amongst other things, so the German Germany plans to shut down 11 coal-fired plants and the last three remaining and most modern nuclear plants by the end of 2022, which makes absolutely no sense. But, of course, you know, this isn't about making sense. But it is quite interesting how the, the prices in Germany uh, through the, the high before this year, before it hit $200, um, the high from 2017 through 2020 uh, was right around 60 bucks that that hit at the late of the back end of 2018, and then uh, throughout 2020 it stayed uh, actually below below 50 dollars or 50 euros. I'm sorry, and then since the very beginning of uh, 2021, it's gone from 50. Uh, it hit 80 about, it looks like, this past midsummer, well, we'll say uh, probably August, which 
and then it spiked initially to 160 just recently, probably back late September, early October, dropped back down to about 110, and then now it's spiked over 200. Their policy changes are just uh, just like the United States. This climate, this these climate uh, hoaxers are just doing absolutely wrecking ball damage to the to our society. Um, and not only that, they're going to be they're they're trying to cause just massive chaos. And and of course, this is what's what's been planned um, in their mindset. These people don't solve any problems; they create problems, and then they play. Uh, I guarantee you someone's uh, made some long-term bets on this and uh, are going to reap the rewards uh, because of the the, the strike or uh, the price point or that what they call the strike price um, when you go you know whether you go long or go short all that kind of stuff whatever your window of opportunity so someone's going to make off like a bandit because they already knew this is what they were going to try to do. And this is also happening in the United States. It's, it's the only thing, you know, obviously, energy prices, all they do is uh, place a heavy burden on, on the poorest and the middle class amongst us because that's that's what happens. You just wind up costing people. All their money goes into paying higher taxes and paying for this stuff. And, of course, this is what the globalists want. They want to destroy all the economic activity amongst the people because they don't really, they don't, they they keep on running to this little, oh, the climate is changing so rapidly. They have no concept of what the hell is going on with the climate. And you can't control something you don't have. They can't even provide water. They can't provide resources. They can't provide stability. Why? Why does anybody... With any brain cells, think that these people are going to solve anything whatsoever. This is just forced annihilation of, of industries. Um, for example, nuclear power. I mean, why would you shut down your nuclear power plants? The cost is uh, the cost is highly effective. It, it solar is the most expensive. Wind is terrible, and it doesn't work. All these renewable resources that everybody talks so much is so glowingly about. They want to put all this money and investment in this shit. And this is where we'll go with the next uh, part of this uh, uh, podcast, for example. So you get this idea that uh, uh, this was posted. Uh, China's banking assets are at $52 trillion, growing by $40 trillion since uh, 2008. Now, anybody with any you know, halfway decent understanding of things knows that uh, since uh, 2008, China has not grown their economy or grown their banking assets uh, they've grown their assets by forty trillion, but it's all it's all debt. It's all high. Uh, I mean, that's where you get the Evergrands of the world that are going. They went bust. But anyway, I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the Chinese uh, uh, economy. But we know that there's a, a, a huge you know uh, uh, gulf between the rich and the poor in that country, and it's only going to be acerbated. They're probably going to cause massive chaos, but they're going to try to keep everybody under wraps. You know, authoritarians are going to be authoritarian, and they're going to they're going to try to try to keep these people uh, from rising up. But once this economic hangover, once this economic collapse happens, it's going to be very difficult for them to to be able to fix.
and, and the same thing is coming to the United States, by the way, since every the two largest economies in the world are over. They're just just they got way too many, uh, way too much uh, cash inflow uh, flowing into the economy. Uh, when I say cash, I mean they created this Fed money, and it's not going any. It isn't going to solve the problem. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a conference done about five years ago, and we're going to play a little bit of uh, play a little bit of that conference. And you can understand it. This was uh, actually a, a Japanese um, uh, professor. I assume Mr. Well, he, he goes. He was the chief economist of the Nomura Research Institute. I'd have to do go look, but he explains the situation pretty good. And I'm going to play about five ten minutes of it, and you can listen to it. So anyway, this article we're going to look at this. I'm going to just read part of read a paragraph or two of this and go from there. Now let's look at the other half of this system, the China China's mercantile model, says the CIO. We all vaguely know the story here. We all tried shorting it at one point or another, I'm talking about their banking system and their uh, real estate. China discovered the magic money tree, aka the MMT or modern modern monetary theory. They used it to build a manufacturing empire and stop the magic escaping from the capital account. This was MMT used in anger. They repressed the exchange rate to export market share and accumulated FX reserves in the process. The, these were recycled into U.S. treasuries to supporting lower U.S. interest rates. They repressed depositors with negative real returns on deposits to favor investment over consumption. Yeah, they... they and wanted them to invest in the housing market. And their housing market's like 68%, I think, of their economic boom. So when that blows up, it's going to be an absolute catastrophe because the United States was only like 17 or 18% in 2008. The consumption share of the GDP, GDP has remained depressed throughout, subjugated to investment exports and government spending. No wonder property became the savings vehicle of choice and seemed to be an everlasting bubble. Free money allowed a massive accelerated pace of industrial development, especially after China joined the World Trade Organization in 2001. And along with that, joining uh, their amount of their environment, lack of environmental policy has added to CO2 emissions. So we're substantially worse off due to the fact that China has been pumping belching out coal, uh, CO2 emissions through their coal fire plants. They have no cleaners on them and, and are just, you know, there is no environmental regulation they won't violate. And yet we have these assholes that are trying to clamp down on the West and yet they have no, they, they, they seemingly just ignore China because A, they can't control China and B, they don't care to control China because they don't even, uh, you know, they're, they're too heavily invested there. And they can't control anything whatsoever there. They can't negotiate with a... They're trying to negotiate with the Nazi regime because that's basically what the Chinese are. China's rapid industrialization and hunger for global market share kept deflationary pressure on durable good prices for for 30 years, helping to keep consumer and price inflation and interest rates lower in the West. And the beauty of the magic money tree was that China could insulate its high, highly cyclical in, industry from any default cycle. It monetized bad debt and preserved unprotected deflationary capacity. 
the stock of uh, the stock of money ballooned. Banking assets are now around 52 trillion. They're grown about 40 trillion since 2008. They're now twice the size of the U.S. banking system, and China's banks have added the equivalent of the U of the U.S. banking systems in just eight years. This is what hyper MMT MMT looks like, exactly. So the the the, these uh, particular banking systems were equal at the end of 2009, early 2010, and then uh, while the U.S. Uh, system has nearly doubled since then, China's gone up by four or five times. So yeah, it's 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 not even a not even an equal comparison. So the net result is the Western monetary policies and China's mercantile mo model fed off each other to give us this Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass transformation of massive monetary growth and into a deflationary mechanism, the refrigeration mode. Both sides got what they wanted, China leapfrogging industrial uh, development, and the U.S. got low inflation in the great moderation, but it had its side effects. A massive monetary overhang in China, hyper-financialization in the U.S. These extremes are now biting back on the system through the political economy. So this is... This was written by uh, Eric Peters, CIO of One, A One River Asset Management. So I, uh, I'm going to play this little uh, clip. It's probably about 10 minutes. But I like the way the guy presents it. This was actually linked in the, this article uh, by someone who uh, talks about neoclassical economics. But I like the way this guy presents this, and I'll let him talk for a little bit. Good afternoon, and thank you very much for having me here. I think the last time I spoke in this room was with a bunch of uh, ECB officials, and they were not very happy with what they heard from me. Uh, European you know, Central we live Bank. In a very strange world. Very, very strange world. Central bankers have injected so much money into the banking system. There's enough reserves in the U.S. banking system to you increase U.S. money supply 16 times. So we are potentially facing 1,600% inflation rate in the United States, but we don't see anything like that. Inflation rate is still only about 1.5%. Here too, UK, Japan, so many countries have done, so many central banks have done so much quantitative easings, but inflation is flat everywhere. That's not what we learn in universities. We were taught in universities that the central bank does so much, inflation will pick up and then the economy should be booming. But nothing like that is happening. But, you know, if the central bank does so many things, you begin to wonder, do they really understand the, the problem you have? Right? If you go to a doctor and doctor says, oh, for that disease, take two doses of the medicine. You took the two. A week later, nothing happened. You went back to the doctor, and the doctor said, take four. Okay, I come back and take four doses. You go back to the doctor, still no, no improvement, and the doctor says, 16. Now, 16, you begin to wonder, is this doctor really good? And then a week later, you went back and there's 256. We are facing the 256 problem now. But still no inflation, still nothing. Why are central bankers 
and many economists, theoretical economists, academic economists, still saying, do more, do more, do more. If the quantitative easing doesn't work, try the, uh, the negative interest rates. If the negative interest rate doesn't work, let's try the helicopter money. Why are they talking like this? Why are they pushing us into this 256 problem? It's because the economics we were taught in universities were basically built on one key assumption. And the assumption is that private sector is always maximizing profits. That there's always borrowers for the money. If only the central bank bring interest rates down low enough, these borrowers will show up, take the money, and the economy would improve. That's basically the assumption. That's why people like Paul Krugman was asked, how come your policies are not working? Well, he said, well, if the 2% inflation target doesn't work, let's try four. Well, pretty soon he will say, let's try 16. And pretty soon he will go to 256. That's all on the assumption that there are borrowers. But for private sector to be maximizing profits, two things have to happen, or two conditions will have to be met. And that is that they have clean balance sheets and they are interesting investment opportunities. If you don't have these two, they, will, they have no reason to borrow money. And what this chart shows is that there are borrowers, yes borrowers, no borrowers, lenders, yes lenders, no lenders. And the, all the economics we learn in universities is about here, that there are always borrowers. Occasionally, there are no lenders because the banks lend money to wrong people and they could not pay back, the banks have a problem, so-called financial crisis. Financial crisis is here. But we know what to do when the banks have problems. You, do, you inject capital, the central bank acts as the lender of last resort, you do forbearance, the few things that we know what to do when there are no lenders. And then once you fix the lenders, we're back to the, the textbook world right here, that there are plenty of lenders, plenty of borrowers. But once every several decades, private sector goes crazy over the bubble. They borrow tons of money during the bubble to leverage themselves up. Once the bubble burst, asset prices collapse, liabilities remain, the balance sheets are underwater. The balance sheets are underwater means these guys are bankrupt. And if they're bankrupt, they don't borrow money. And the banks cannot lend money to the people who are bankrupt. So there you go. There's simple thing and that's what we're going to have we're going to have the, the right now we've heard about the asset assets are you know escalating in value they, they're inflating asset we're creating an enormous bubble uh people are you know that are and of course the ones that are buying it up or you've heard about blackrock and you've heard about uh, the central bank pumped all this money and, and they're trying to they're trying to move a needle. They're trying to put they're pushing on a string as a I guess an economics term is. They're trying to push on a string to try to get some inflationary pressure. Of course, we have inflationary pressure now. Their idea is to think that they think they can do this. The only problem is is eventually this is all going to be like egg food younger. It's gonna gonna splatter on everybody's face because. Uh, uh, Economics is a is a cruel taskmaster, uh, taskmaster, and he talked about investment opportunities. 
so you've heard about all this uh, these uh, trillions that this these uh, like our U.S. Uh, uh, policy is going to try to invest in uh, all the Green New Deal, but really all it is is just going to be a bunch of wasted. Uh, the only thing that's going to happen is the public is going to get stuck with the bill, uh, as they always do. And there's going to be pri- when you talk about private profits, they're not making private profits. They're just you're going to have private people that are going to make enormous, get enormous. Uh, uh, they're going to try to buy up all the wealth. And this is what they're they're after. That's the goal and objective to buy up all the resources and assets, and and then they're going to drop the hammer on the rest of us and make us foot the bill for the entire situation. They're not trying to help humanity. They're trying to they're trying to enrich themselves. They're not operating in an economic environment where they actually give a shit about policy anymore because they've created these catastrophes over and over again. Two thousand eight was just you know was the latest one but this next one's going to make 2008 look like a sneak like a, a very small insignificant flu and when it happens there'll be all kinds of chaos that's going to happen you see what germany's doing like i said they're they're shutting down their energy uh, uh complex the united states did the same is doing the same effing thing and they're creating massive inflation and area pressures, and they're literally sucking resources right out of other people's uh, out of uh, out of the normal people's hands. Nobody would run an economy like this. Nobody should run an economy like this. But yet, this is going on around the world. Meanwhile, they're using COVID to to uh, blackmail people. Um, uh, Australia, for example, just came out with a new. So December seventeenth, they're going to start. Uh, harassing people so if you sneeze in public they'll find your ass and and do all this other kind of stuff absolutely sane authoritarianism i mean the the amount of uh the the amount of stupidity that's existent in this world is just beyond comprehension um and of course this is all 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 the all the covid stuff and all the omicron and all this other stuff is being done uh, to cover for the fact that this shit's going on behind the scenes, because they don't—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're trying to rip this entire world off. I mean, when I say the entire world, they're—they're they're after everything that the the seven billion plus people on the face of the earth who have created all the economic activity, who provide the labor, who provide the, in many cases, the intellectual understanding. I know many people think that oh it's the 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 Silicon Valley people and all the people that create they don't create wealth they never have created wealth the the people who create the wealth are the people who provide the labor who provide the the know-how who do the daily tasking uh yeah there's people who invent certain things and certainly they have have their part to play but for the most part they they turn into lazy lazy people who try to like anything else there are people who uh, are inventive and they can they're like a sometimes they get lucky they get that one time they're really good at that and then from then on out though they're they're going to the investment cycle of buying up assets and buying up houses and buying up land and buying up limited resources and they try to exploit the market and 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 i mean they use uh uh governmental resources in order to achieve higher leverage points on all kinds of things 
Uh, they're not really like um, we'll go back to this so the reason why I say that's because this presentation will go go into the Great Depression and what actually went on and it'll, it's gonna go on for about eh, probably about five or seven minutes I'll let him talk and we'll go from there so you end up on this side no borrowers now if there are no lenders also you know when the bubble collapse many financial institutions also gets into trouble so there may be no lenders, no borrowers. But for the lack of lenders part, we all know what to do, as I mentioned to you earlier. Inject capital, central bank providing uh, liquidity, and then you can go from four to three. You can fix the lenders problem relatively quickly if there's a will to the, with the government. But once you get to here, if this involves millions of borrowers, and in the case of the United States with the big housing bubble, this involved millions of households, then you could get stuck in uh, case three for a very long time. And Japan has been stuck on case three for the last 25 years, uh, many European countries for the last eight years. Now, why are these economists kept on saying, but the central bank can still help. The central bank, if they work harder and harder, something will happen. It's all based on analysis done by actually my university, University of California Berkeley, this professor called Christina Roma in 1990 wrote a paper saying, look, United States actually came out of Great Depression, not with the President Roosevelt's fiscal policy. United States actually came out of the Great Depression with Federal Reserve changing monetary policy in 1933. But that isn't really and the case. And she was referring to this chart. This chart shows <laughs> Central bank provided liquidity, monetary base, which is the red line. And the blue line is money supply. Money supply is our bank accounts all added together. That's how much money we get to spend. And the green line is how much money private sector borrow from the banks. And we were all taught in universities that these three lines are supposed to move together. That if central bank increases reserves 10%, money supply, credit also increasing 10%. And we had that world all the way until New York stock market crash in 1929. Three lines moving beautifully together. And then they began to diverge. First three years, as you can see, Federal Reserve did very little. The red line didn't change all that much. And then from 1933, Federal Reserve increased this uh, monetary base quite substantially, 194% increase. Then the money supply here, from here to here, also increased 52%. And of course, US economy from 1933, 1936 did improve. So all these people saying, wow, so it was the Federal Reserve that increased money supply and the economy improved. So everybody got very excited. Ben Bernanke, Paul Krugman, Jeffrey Sachs, all these big names in the United States got onto the bandwagon and said, yeah, 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 it was the monetary policy. It's not the uh, fiscal policy that got the US economy out of the Great Depression. This is where all these emphasis on central bank started, right from, right from this chart. Now, if you just were taught what I just told you, it says, wow, central bank increased the monetary base, money supply increased, the economy improved, it, that must be true. Well, there was a huge problem with this analysis. And that is that, for those of you with the banking experience, I'm sure aware, for money supply, which is 
our bank deposits, for money supply to grow, money supply is the liability of the banking system. For liabilities to grow, the asset side of the banking system has to grow also. And all these big names never looked at what was on the asset side of the American bank's balance sheets. They only look at the liability side and look at, wow, 52% increase in money supply. But they, they, they never looked at what increased 52% on, on the asset side. I happened to look at that number and I was shocked. This is how American banking balance sheets look like. This is the entire American banking balance sheets. And as, you, as I indicated earlier, money supply is bank deposits added together. So there's a he's got this discussion where he goes from June 1929. So there was credit the credit side of the private sector on the asset side was at 29 or 30 billion dollars in June 29. It shrunk down to 15.8 in June 1933, and in June 1936 it was still 15.7 billion. So it didn't change the asset side. However, the credit extended to the public sector went from went from 8.6 to 16 in June 1936. So, the public sector grew, and you now there's a host of other things with reserves and reserve level and capital. Um, point is, is he he will discuss this, but uh, I just wanted to point that out real quickly. So, the 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 public sector. Uh, grew substantially, or the public sector uh, credit it grew substantially. So we'll let him finish here. But um, yeah, U.S. money supply growth made possible by government borrowings. Now, so this is where the he goes into the fiscal cliff and and some other uh, concepts here, which I don't necessarily agree with all all of what he says. But I, I mean. He's presenting, this is his presentation. So that's the liability of the banking system. This green area is the money supply. And from 1929 to 1933, money supply shrunk. Why did it shrink? The yellow area shrunk. What is in the yellow area? Yellow area is lending to the private sector. And why did the yellow area shrunk? Very simple. Before the bubble, people borrowed lots of money to invest in all sorts of assets. They leveraged themselves up during the bubble days. When asset prices collapse, liabilities remain, they are basically bankrupt. So they have to pay down debt as quickly as possible, so they were paying down debt, which is why money supply shrunk. Now, how did money supply increase from 33 to 36? Well, certainly this area increased from here to here. But when you look at the yellow area, lending to the private sector, it did not increase at all. It actually shrunk a little bit. What part increased from 1933 to 1936? Government borrowings. So there were no private sector borrowers, but the government came in to borrow the money. That got the economy to move, and then that's how money supply grew and the economy recovered. Some U.S. policymakers, in particular Ben Bernanke, who used to be on the other camp, tried more, tried more. Suddenly, when he read my book, he realized that, oh my gosh, 
you need government to be borrowing money. Like I said, and this is the problem I have. Uh, obviously, this is a uh, uh, a left uh, version of this. Government needs to borrow more money. Yeah, and this is the problem that we're running into. We we have gone away from um, fiscal reality, and of course, when you're dealing with trillions now, see that that balance sheet was shown with uh, billions. And it was a different time and a different place. Plus, it's also attached to uh, your, uh, at that particular point in history, the United States had an enormous gold reserves, uh, mainly from the fact that they got many of those gold reserves from European European powers, particularly Britain and, and Germany and France. Um, there's a whole host of information out there that, could, that would uh, resolve that point. Uh, we were... Uh, we the 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 Federal Reserve has done nothing but damage to our our economy over the past hundred years or one hundred and fifteen well not fifteen hundred one hundred and five years so was it 1916, 1913 when it was uh, established or whatever they keep, we've gone through these boom bust cycles and they just keep on getting worse and worse. This said, the Chinese are even in worse shape probably than than we are. Uh, but you know the difference is is they're 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 such a command control economy that they'll probably the 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 difference is is they're so mil military uh, militaristic I can't even say the word right now um, they're 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 basically going to um, if they have any kind of social crisis they're going to uh, Turn turn that into a uh, opportunity to expand their um, their uh, territory because that's the way countries solve their problems, or certainly the way certain powers have solved their problems. Germany did the same thing during uh, during the Great Depression. Uh, obviously, that would that was exploited to uh, obviously the rise of Nazi Germany came. On the heels of the Great Depression, 1932-1933, and also they had some economic growth, uh, which of course made them, you know, even think that they were substantially solving problems. That's the reason why, you know, of course, certain policies like corporate fascism took hold, which is something that's being uh, uh, currently used in in uh in various forms with uh, the vaccine mandates and stuff like that albeit those those have been struck down recently by our courts in the united states that doesn't mean that there won't be another try or another end run on this and corporations are toggling to these uh, these these policies in order to control their uh control the population and you've heard the 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 current uh the Biden boom or something like that. We have a, this huge inflationary pressure. Uh, wages are keeping are, are not keeping up with that. It never does. Wages always lag when you have inflationary cycles. And that's that's generally always been the rule. There's a reason why Trump. The difference between when Trump was actually uh, improving the economy slowly but surely with. Uh, our wage, our wages were increasing while our inflation was staying down. Uh, people were able to buy more things, and of course, this pisses off the certain people that are involved in this uh, situation to cause this crisis.
because of the way they had their money positioned in relationship to the United States and in relationship to China. So there's a host of actors involved, and, and it's far more complex than I'm going to be able to ever uh, get my hands quite wrapped around. But uh, um, I'll let him finish off here. Um, his name is uh, Mr. Richard C. Koo. So he was a chief economist for the Nomura Research Institute. And uh, this was from 2016. So I'm going to let him. This is an hour and a half video, but I'll let him talk for a few more minutes. I watched it. When the private sector is not borrowing money. And that's where his remarks about fiscal cliff comes from. Four or five years ago, I'm sure many of you remember the Federal Reserve officials, Obama administration officials talk, talked about fiscal cliff. That if we cut our deficits too quickly, we'll fall off the fiscal cliff and the economy will be in very sad shape. He was referring to this part. That without, when the private sector is not borrowing money, public sector must borrow money to keep the economy going. But, you know, not everybody read my book. And I'm afraid my book didn't go very far in this part of the world. So there's still a lot of people are saying, if the central bank does a little bit more, something will happen. But when you understand this mechanism, you realize that without a borrower, if the private sector is all deleveraging, you need public sector to be there to keep the economy and money supply from shrinking. So U.S. is the one, one of the very rare cases where they understood this issue, issued a warning about fiscal cliff, and United States, of course, came very close to falling off the fiscal cliff on a number of occasions. Government shutdown, uh, debt ceiling debate, sequester, but it managed to stay away from the fiscal cliff, so now it's doing much better. But I'm afraid many countries in this part of the world all fell off the fiscal cliff and are struggling as a result. Now, this is what's happening now, and this is the situation for the United States. Three lines moving beautifully together until Lehman crisis. And then Bernanke did QE1, QE2, QE3. He knew already by the time he was doing QE2 that this is not going to change too many things. Yep. Well, that's all well and good. But uh, uh, the problem is, is when you don't have sound money, which is tied to a... a um, a fixed asset, and this is what's been going on since, well, 1971, since we went off the gold standard. And you have this massive credit. We've had all these credit bubbles, and you have these asset bubbles, and you have all this uh, uh, central bank influencing. They throw money. They, they don't even understand the policies that they're instituting, or they do understand them very well. And, of course, this benefits the dip, this is why your private sector, or when you say private sector, private individuals have amassed enormous wealth uh, portfolios. You know, there's a reason why Elon Musk is worth two or three hundred billion dollars, or uh, you know, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and uh, all the other you know, clowns that are in that particular. And that's why there's such a, a huge uh, wealth disparity and gap. And these people think that they've actually created something. Many of them are, I mean, the only reason why, like, for example, you know, you think about Microsoft. 
they haven't really done anything significantly improving uh, in terms of a technology in the last 25 years. I think Windows 95 was the last uh, innovation. Everything since then has been just about them getting. Uh, now they they've changed their uh, pay or their uh, billing model to where it's a month to month or a year. You don't even buy a license. You don't even you don't just get to own the license and use it on any computer. You have to buy the license on a monthly basis or a yearly basis to, to apply to certain uh, things. Uh, this is the way for them to uh, uh, quote unquote uh, make sure that they have consistent cash flows into their coffers. Um, and some people say, well, you know, that's you know, they're not innovating anything. What they're, I mean, I I just got Office, I got the the new update of Office 365, and it's garbage. But whatever, it is what it is. I'd like to get away from that. I want to go to an open source, and I'm thinking about changing over my entire computer system. But uh, the fact that you have to do that in order to you know get away from these people uh, says a lot about what they are. Um, I'm not saying that there is no innovation that comes out of this stuff, but the problem is, is they're just they're just leveraging the financial systems uh, and banking systems, and the banking systems are helping them out. And there's a reason why you have what you have going on. So I'm going to stop there for today. Um, it's been a, um, I think a, a useful uh, review of banking. Uh, and also the fact that uh, uh, you can see the same people have been talking the same way for a long time. China is going to face its own uh, come-to-Jesus moment. Uh, it should be interesting to see what they do. I think the response will be using their military to advance their purposes because unlike Japan, when Japan had this kind of an asset situation, as he mentioned, the 25 years that he mentioned 25 years in 2016, but they're still in the same problem. Uh, with their asset growth that they had in the 80s. Uh, the same thing will happen with China. But the difference is uh, Japan didn't have a military... They weren't uh, militaristic uh, in terms of their response, whereas China will be because China has has ambitions that are far beyond the grasp of uh, most people's uh, thinking. And so does the West, So does uh, the World Economic Forum. They have their... So it should be interesting to see which wins out and and how many how many, how they're going to gin up the propaganda to try to sell us on um, achieving these people's goal or fighting against whatever battle that they're going to try to put us in. Uh, people should ignore that. Just remember, these people screwed you over with the pandemic and took away your your uh, your ability to help yourself. And I wouldn't I wouldn't. Uh, help any of these people <laughs> no matter if they're or not uh, against China uh, there are things we can do but uh, I don't trust our leadership to make the right decisions so I'm going to leave it there for today and, or for uh, now and I'll come back soon enough <laughs>